If you would please take your Bibles and uh, we're going to look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 5 beginning at verse 14. Uh, while you're looking at that, I want to tell you about uh, next week's service. It's going to be a little bit different. We're going to have both services, 8 and 1045, be a little bit different. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what it's going to be, what it's going to be about, but uh, I think it would be good for us to be here. You know, we, we live in a very anxious time. You know, if you listen to the news and say, you know, there's a possibility they're looking at World War III, uh, I don't think we need that. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we live in anxious times. You know, we, we were studying evangelism that we live in a broken world, and broken systems, broken lives, broken relationships. You know, uh, everything's broken. And, and it is, you know, uh, you wake up in the morning and, and uh, it, it just seems like uh, everything's just coming in on, on us. Well, next week's, next week's service, you just need to be here for that. Uh, both the 8 o'clock and the 1045, we're going to do something just a little bit different. And uh, uh, it's, it's, I will say this, it's, it's biblical. It's biblical. Anyway, let's look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 5, beginning at verse 14. Verse 14 says, Moreover, from the day that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, for 12 years, neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten the governor's food allowance. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants dom domineered the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also applied myself to the work on this wall. We did not buy any land and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 Jews and officials besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now that which was prepared for each day was one ox and six choice sheep. Also birds were prepared for me. And once in ten days all sorts of wine were furnished in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the governor's food allowance because the servitude was heavy on the people. Remember me, O oh my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this passage today, Lord, instruct our hearts and minds uh, to, uh, to apply certain principles in our lives, Father, that uh, others may detect from our uh, from our living, that we walk with God. Now, Father, I pray for Hazelwood Church, its people, uh, its pastor, whom you're already sending here, Father. We just don't know who he is or where he's at yet, but, uh, Father, he's on his way. We pray for him. In Jesus' name, amen. A fellow by the name of Everett, Ed, Edward Everett Hale has given us these words concerning character. He, he writes, I am only one, but I am one. 
I can't do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do that I ought to do, and what I ought to do by the grace of God, I shall do. This passage is about character. Now, there's two ways to look at character. I know some characters, but I don't think that this is in reference to that. It's about demonstrating a godly character in our everyday lives. So when it comes to our being serviceable to God, because these first few chapters are about our being serviceable to God, a character in this sense, is everything. It does not mean that you are the smartest or that uh, you or I are, are the wisest, but it does mean that, uh, that your heart is focused in on God. So in verse 15 of our text, Nehemiah tells of his reasoning for his actions. What is the reason for your actions? What causes you to do what you do? There's, there's got to be a motive in there. Is it because, uh, as we said before, are you, are you trying to climb whatever ladder there might be out there to success? And, uh, uh, you know, as I've told you before, after about two or three rungs on a ladder, I get a little dizzy myself. So I don't think I'm looking for a ladder. And in fact, at, at the stage of my life, I don't think that it would be a wise thing to start climbing right now anyway. But what is, the, what is the motive for what you do, what you do? Nehemiah says, I did so. Now, this is the motive or the reasoning for his actions. He says, I did so because of the fear of the Lord. Uh, you may call it as being, we do this because of the grace of God, or that you're God-focused, or perhaps just simply having a, a, uh, having a godly character. But it is, as a matter of fact, that as Christians, we are, you and I are the objects of God's grace. You all realize, if it were not for the grace of God, there would not be a single one of us who would be situated in the kingdom of God. You know, I, I, I hear people saying, well, I, I, I chose to do this, or I chose to do that, or, or, you know, I came to church seeking God. Folks, let me, let me just tell you something. If I can use the proper English, it ain't us who's, who's seeking God. It is God who has sought us. It is His grace, not just some provenient grace, which is an unbiblical term anyway, not some provenient grace, but it is His grace, His sovereign grace that has brought us into the fold of glory. You and I, there is nothing. It's like, it's like, saying, it's like saying to God, you know, God, you're so lucky to have me. Like the angels in glory just waiting for me to get there because when they, when they saw me coming, they just went, oh, wow, finally. Now, Pat will do it. Have you ever just given a thought that God doesn't need you or I? 
that he's gone along for eternity before we ever got around to the scene. It is, it is because we're the object of his grace, and it is therefore that he is producing in us Listen, God is producing in us. You're not producing it. God produces in you the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are not graces or virtues that you have just innate within you. We are, without God, we are scoundrels. But God produces in us this fruit of His Spirit because it builds within us character. All of these are character builders. This is what Paul speaks of in Philippians 2.25 as he calls it. He says, living by the Spirit. You're not living by your own abilities. You're living by the Spirit. When we realize as to whose we are, and that because of whose we are, that we have a personal responsibility to God, then it becomes clear to us that we have the fullest confidence to approach Him as both Lord and Father. Because you and I have been brought into the kingdom by the will of God and by the sovereign power of God and the holiness of God, the purity of God, the light of God, the love of God, we furnish nothing. We offer our sin. I don't think that gets us very close to heaven, do you? We offer God our sin and He offers us salvation. I have nothing good to offer God. But I have this personal, you have this personal responsibility to God. And it becomes clear to us that we have the fullest confidence. We have the fullest confidence to approach Him as Lord and Father. Hebrews 4, 16 says, therefore, listen, therefore, because of this, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Whether it be Nehemiah or you or I, how dare us to think that we can approach God, of, uh, the God of all creation, who is absolutely perfect in every way. Isn't it audacious for us to think that we can stand before a holy God? I mean, have you ever, have you ever given thought to us? The psalmist cries out in Psalm 8, 4, What is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you would care for him? Think of that. What is, what is humanity that God would even give thought of us? We've been studying on Wednesday night's creation and evolution. Do you know how vast this universe is? Do you realize how small and insignificant planet Earth is in all of the universe? In all of the galaxies, millions of galaxies, millions, a billion trillion stars, 
that dwarf this planet called Earth. We, this little planet would be just like the pinhead in a, in a room this big. Maybe not even that big. And then here we are, nothing, we are nothing upon that little pinhead called planet Earth. That's how small and insignificant we are. And then the, the psalmist says, what is man? As the King James says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Friends, listen. Whether it be a person like Nehemiah, who was the governor or Judah, or people like you and I, who for the most part are unknown to anybody in our society or culture, let me assure you that you and I, as insignificant as we are in all this universe, we barely take up, up any room in all this universe, except maybe for a few egos. But, but as little room as we take up, this is what God has to say about you as his child. In Romans 8.15, he says that you are adopted by God. You know, we have, we have three grandchildren. Pat and I have three grandchildren. Uh, all three are adopted. Do you know, legally, those three children can never, never, never be taken away or given back. They are forever a part of the family. If that happens in real time, in this corrupt, broken world, how much more significant is it in glory? That when you are adopted by God, that you are there forever. There's no, once you belong to God, you're in his hands forever. I heard one person say one time, you know, that, yes, that God holds us in his hands and nothing can take us away from God. Nothing can. But we can will to jump out ourselves. Only a nut would do that. <laughs> nothing. I could, I could just see one, a, a little child being adopted says, well, I think I'm going to choose to leave. The state says, no, ain't going to happen. Forever. Forever. Not only, according to Romans 8.15, are we adopted by God, but Romans 8.16 tells us that we are the children of God. Romans 8, 17, 8, 17 tells us that we are the heirs of God. And again, in Romans 8, 17 tells us that one day that we shall be glorified with God. We'll be glorified with Him. That's a promise. That's a promise that, that God has you right now in this world, in this broken, in this broken, messed up 
wicked world that God holds you. And you are developing a character that represents Christ in you, who's the hope of glory. Is that's being developed, and He's transforming you that at the proper time, you're going to be fully transformed into the image of His Son. He's doing that because in the process of this time, He is producing within you something that is called character. As Dr. King had called it in years past, the content, the content of a person's heart. Character, the condition of the heart that best describes the life of Christ in each one of us. In verse 14 of our text, Nehemiah says that, we, that he had not taken of the, of the food requirement allotted to the governor's. What is significant about that? I mean, how much were these guys getting? His character would not allow his actions to become a burden to others. Think about that. His character would not allow his actions to become a burden to others. Last week, we, we looked at how many of the people had, had so little to eat because they were without a source of income. When, when people are hungry, does the leader fare, should, should the leader fare sumptuously? For Nehemiah to receive what his allotted due was per day for food, and that is besides bread and wine, but for other food, it would come to about, it says 40 shekels a day. Well, what is 40 shekels? How many of you got paid shekels last week when you got your paycheck? But what is 40 shekels? Well, his food allowance per day was almost $40. Now, you say, well, $40 a day, well, that's a couple of meals. You know, you couldn't even go to a, a one-star restaurant and eat for $40. But let me tell you something, 2,500 years ago, 40 shekels a day, almost $40, is a lot, a lot of money. A lot of money. Why should he fare sumptuously and be a burden to others? If Nehemiah's life is seen as an object of God's grace, then our character, that's you and me, our character should never permit any of us to abuse another person's allowances in life. Would, would any of us dare to take from somebody else who has little to begin with? So that we might have more? Does that seem reasonable to you? Are, are we taking advantage of other people? I, I, I hear, a, 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 there's a, a, I've seen on TV a commercial where people will say, I want to get everything I'm entitled to. 
I want you to think about that. And that commercial's on TV. You can see it. I want everything I'm entitled to. Well, let me just ask you this. Suppose you're standing before God. You're standing before a holy and just God. And you say to God, God, I want, to, I want you to give me everything that I am entitled to. My fear would be, if I were to say that to him, he would say, okay, Pat, you've got it. Because you know what you and I are entitled to? When I hear people say, I want everything I'm entitled to. I don't have to work for it. I don't want it to be responsible for it. I just want to sit here on my couch and just get it. And God says, great, I'm going to give it to you. We need to be so aware of his presence that what we see is not our own self-worth. We live in a society that's just, we love ourselves so much. There's just, they're just, I'm just too good to be true. Can't get my eyes off of me. I'd be like heaven to touch. I want to love me so much. At long last, I have arrived, and I thank God I'm alive. That's what we live in. I'm just too good to be true. Isaiah writes in 6.5 of his book, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I am living among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Nehemiah's fear of God caused him to see who he, who Nehemiah really was. Listen, friends, when we have the proper view of God, we have the proper view of God, then we will get the proper view of who we are. You go to the bookstore. And probably, I'm guessing at this, probably some of the best sellers is how God could bless us in our finances, bless us in our marriage, bless us with our children, bless us with this and bless us with that. And God keeps on blessing us. And we get find books on how we could read, how we can get God to bless us. But there's something missing. I'm, I'm not saying that that's bad. Those are good things. But there's something missing. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Bless God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. When are we going to bless God? You know what the word bless means in the Greek? It's eulogetos. We get the word eulogy from it. You are not looking for your eulogies yet, I hope. But it's the word eulogy. Someone passes away, the minister gets up, the officiant gets up, and he eulogizes the person for 
15 or 20 minutes. And if you have nothing good to say, say, man, that guy could really whistle. But, you know, you're, you're, you're eulogizing the person. You're celebrating the person's life. You say good things about him or her. Eulogetos, to bless him. What we need to have is not more books on how God can bless us, but more books on how we can bless God. How are, we, how are we blessing God? We bless God when we build a character in our life that represents Christ in us who is the hope of glory. That we treat others properly with dignity and respect and honor and courtesy. Doesn't matter who that person is. Paul writes as he looks at his own life, as he reflects back in Romans chapter 7 and verse 24, Paul is reflecting back in his own life and he says concerning himself, he says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? There's no narcissistic tendencies there. It's sheer self-deprecation. There's another item concerning character that we would do well to look at. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, Nehemiah says, I applied myself to the work on this wall. Character also causes one to be single-focused in purpose. You know what his purpose was? He says, I got to get this wall built. I don't have, I don't have time to, to, to play political games as the governor of Judah. I got a job to do. My, my purpose is to be with his people, and being with his people means that we together will build this wall. In his letter to the church at Philippi, Paul writes, make my joy complete in chapter 2, verse 2. And then he lists four specifics that a church is to have in order to be godly in character. And being godly in character is what makes his joy complete. He says, listen, I need for the church to be of the same mind, to be of the same love, to be of the same purpose, and to uh, the same spirit, and be of the same purpose. These are the adjustments needed in the domestic, in the domestic life of the church. That's you and I. That's what we are to be. We're to be of the same mind, the same love, the same spirit, the same purpose, because that is a character that God develops in His people. Uh, you know, this thing about every, every Baptist constitution and bylaws has got it. That we are an autonomous body. That scares me when somebody says, I'm autonomous. That means I'm self-governed. You know, one of the great theologians, Mr. T, once said, pity the fool. <laughs> if I govern myself, I feel sorry for me. When we meet for business meetings, and we say, well, I have a right to vote my mind, 
I don't like that. I'm really not interested in what you and I have to think. I think when we meet for business, he says, Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That the right that we have is not to say, well, this is what I want. I think, I think the carpet ought to be purple and orange. What does God want? My right ought to be, my right ought to be, I have the right, the right to express what the Lord is saying to me through His Word. Not what I think, but what does God, what is God saying to me through His Word? So we need these adjustments in, our, in the life of the church. And if we're going to function as a household of faith, just like Nehemiah, if we're going to function as a household of faith, we need to have that, that mind, that love, that spirit, that purpose. Single, a singleness of heart and focus. And then listen, just as it was demonstrated by Nehemiah, Paul writes in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself or herself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Nehemiah was doing that. He said, I can care less if I get $40 a day per diem to eat off of. I got people starving. They can't afford to pay me $40 a day to eat when they have nothing. In closing, let's look at the last verse of our text, verse 19. It's, Nehemiah says this, Remember me, O my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. My friends, it works like this. Whose approval are you most concerned about? Society says this. Performance, performance plus the opinions of others equals self-worth. Is that does that seem good to you? Performance plus the opinions of others equals self-worth. When I was in the military, we had to do, I, had, I, had, I, I hated doing it. We had to do evaluations on people. You know, I had chaplain's assistants working for me. And I, had a, I, I, hated, I hated this, you know, right after these evaluations. And they were just, you know. But so much of it is performance plus the opinions of others. If, if somebody didn't get a 4.0, they just... Some of you guys in the military remember that. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't like me. He only gave me a 3.99 or something. 
We are so geared as to how other people think about us. I have told a couple pastor friends of mine that the, the, one of the functions of the pastor is not to relate to the people. We, we, pastors get so, I got to relate to my people. No, no, no. If you get a pastor that wants to relate to the people, uh, you're going to get a dud. His, his, his main relationship is to whom? Let me give you a clue. <laughs> Mainly, he needs to relate to the Lord, doesn't he? Because sometimes when we, when we relate to people, we become overly concerned about how we're going to affect their feelings when we say, when we preach. You know, I have, I have found this, that Scripture sometimes is very offensive. I, I find it offensive. I find we live in a society where people don't want to be offended, but are you not offended when you read Scripture? It talks about the wretchedness of humanity. It talks about how, how stubborn we are and how stiff-necked we are. And how vulturous we are when it comes to uh, riding on people in order to get a, 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 a step ahead of them. Are you satisfied with the knowledge that your reward for life's words, actions, and desires will ultimately come from God? It, won't, it will not come from society. The your reward for life's words, actions, and desires will ultimately come from God? Or does the impressions and opinions of others matter more to you? Who do you want to relate more to? If you want to relate more to God, then honestly, trust me on this, you will relate better to others. If you put God first in what you do, your relationship to others will be built up. But if you focus on others above God and you, and you demote and demean the person of God, then I will guarantee that you will demote and demean your attitude and your courtesies toward others. A higher view of God gives you a better view of others. A lower view of God, what, is that, what does that leave you? If you promote others above God, then, you, then what, you, what you have done is you are just putting them, putting them on a pedestal in order for you to advance your own self. Would your prayer... Would your prayer at the completion of a God-given task, I'm not talking about the end of your life, I'm saying that you've been given a task to do, but would your prayer be this, that at the end of that task, when it's all said and when it's all done, whenever you were supposed to do has been done, would you say as similar to what Nehemiah said, would you say, oh my God, I have done this for your 
people. God, I have done this for your people. That's the ultimate question. That is what Nehemiah leaves us with at the very end of this. He says, I've done all this, Lord. Remember me because I've done this for your people. I've done this for your people. You, and whatever job you hold in the church, I don't care if it's a Sunday school teacher, deacon, greeter, whatever it is, I'm doing this. Lord, I'm doing this for your people. Character is a condition of your heart. Where is your heart at today? Where is your heart at today? Is your heart focused on the Lord? In fact, do you even have a relationship with the Lord? Do you know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior? If you, if you don't start there, there's nowhere else to start. Is Jesus Christ, is Jesus Christ the Savior and the Lord of your life? That's where character building begins right there. I'm going to ask you, and we're going to have a time of response over here. I'm going to ask you to do something. If today you realize that you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you need to have that relationship with Him and you know that you don't, but if you feel today, say, you know what? I want, I want to know Jesus as my Savior. You know, that desire for you to want to know Jesus, that didn't come just from you. That comes from the Holy Spirit working in your life. He's the one who regenerates He's the one who puts life into you so that you know that you need Jesus.